We now convene this meeting of the Liz Lenz Fan Club. What a week. Welcome to What a Week, where we break down the week's top news stories. Um, my name is Matt Sinovic, the Executive Director of Progress Iowa. Um, we had a great interview with uh, Cedar Rapids Gazette columnist Liz Lenz, uh, Lauren McElmeal, our Digital Director, and I got to speak with her on Thursday, May 21st about, um, about her coverage of the coronavirus pandemic in Iowa and, and her take on everything from the governor's response to um, to to uh, how it's affecting workers, to how it's affecting um, her personally as she hears from folks. So it was a really uh, a, a terrific interview uh, or discussion that we had, and, and we hope that you look forward to or, or hope that you enjoy it as well. Um, to kind of go through a couple of, of items before we get into that, um, we do have the latest numbers, um, and as of this Thursday – um, nearly 16,000 people have tested positive in Iowa. It's 15,955, and we passed a an incredibly unfortunate uh, milestone where we have more than 500 Iowans who have died um, uh, due to, to coronavirus um, in our state. So it is uh, it is it is a it is a trying time for for all of us, and and we're thankful for um, for folks who are out there educating people about this and encouraging people to stay safe um, and, and continuing to hold our elected officials accountable. Um, so on that note, uh, please enjoy our discussion with Cedar Rapids Gazette columnist Liz Lenz. I have been hiding in my home for a very long time. And I went on a walk last Friday because I live, you know, near near the heart of Cedar Rapids. So I went for a walk down First Avenue and like everybody was out, like people were tailgating First Avenue. And I like started to talk to a woman because I was like, what the hell is going on? And she's like, oh, yeah, we've been like coming out here and like classic cars will like drive down. It's like this parade thing. And I'm like, y'all have just been doing this this whole time. And I've been hiding in my home. Like, it's like, it's truly so many, like, not social distancing. Yeah. Like drinking beers, having fun. I was just going to ask, were they in their car? Did they stay in their car or were they like, no, no people, they were like setting, they were like setting up lawn chairs along first Avenue and like drinking beer and like, like it was like a tailgate, like a, I don't actually. I really had hoped that the pandemic would kill parades forever because I don't like parades. <laughs> what did a parade you know, kill like your them. mom? <laughs> no, I just I think they're dumb. Every time that I like, I only go to like a parade every year, yeah. and and it's the Fourth of July parade in Upper Wisconsin, and I always have like it's at the point in the week of vacation where I have gotten like either deathly ill from allergies or I'm so sunburned I don't want to move and then I get dragged into town where it's hot and (laughs) I have to stand in line to wait for like a really sad brat to eat lunch and and I'm not and I mean it was fun when like you could be in the parade and you threw candy and stuff and but now I'm like and I, I don't do that anymore also like you can buy better candy yeah, I, you know, you bring up a really good point. I like, 
I never went to parades as like a kid because I'm one of eight kids and my mom's like, I'm not taking eight children to a giant crowd. Um, also you don't go anywhere cause we were homeschooled. And so we never went anywhere. And so this explains half of my problems, but the, um, but like as a parent, I'm always like, Oh, a parade, that'll be really fun. I'll take my kids. And it never is like Lauren, I always think it's going to be fun and then I bring them and then somebody cries and nobody gets enough candy or like you're like deathly afraid of losing someone or like the the winter parades are always cold. So, um, you know, I was going to defend parades, but your persuasive analysis has really made me seem that parades are terrible. (laughs) And I'm on your side. (laughs) I've been going to that same stupid parade for 26 years. go every single year and we've it's rained it's uh but i also as a parent i love a tradition of misery so i encourage your family to keep making you miserable once a year because that's how cults are formed yes <laughs> it's the trauma bond that really brings i mean at together. least this cult has cheese curds oh God. i would join that cult how much you want to bet Kim Reynolds is going to have a parade for when this Ugh. is technically when she thinks it's over? So like next you, week. do you, you know, there, here's a really funny thing. Um, this might bring us into talking about something uh, of interest to your audience besides parades. But, um, you know, a, a lot of journalism outlets, including the one I work for, have been uh, filing Freedom of Information Act requests to find out more about Test Iowa, what's happening at the State Hygienics Lab, you, just everything. And one response that was given uh, recently was we can have information when the pandemic is over. And wow. it That's was not helpful uh, at all. <laughs> well, it, I mean, let's unpack that response for a little bit because like, I mean, first of all, the pandemic I mean, isn't isn't that a rocky thing? It's never over. I can't. Oh my god! Delete that. Delete me off the face of the earth. I've actually never seen Rocky, by the way. But the point being, it's never gonna be over. But according to our leader, the governor Kim Reynolds, she—I mean, she's like basically like mission accomplished. It's over. So like. According to her, it's already over, so just give us the stuff. But also, it's never going to be over, so we'll never get the stuff, you know. And, I mean, like, what a response. (laughs) I really want her to, at one of her press conferences, get a mission accomplished type banner to hide, to, like, hang up behind Mm -hmm. her, just for that visual to have forever. Well, surely we know somebody who can use Photoshop and just do that for us. What, maybe. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I, how do they, do they define it? Do they define what being over means? No, of course not. It's just, okay, I I assume not, but I didn't. Yeah, and and I'm not, you know, I'm not sure if, I mean, there there was a reply to that that was basically like, you know, let's let's work to accommodate this request in a legal and efficient manner, I think yeah. was kind of the implication of the reply sent not by me, because um, my reply would have been involved. 
a lot more swear words. Um, a little spicier. <laughs> a little spicier. Um, but they, uh, yeah. So, I mean, I think it's an ongoing conversation, but I know that, that that's not an original response because the New York Times had a um, an op-ed or was it an editorial? It's escaping me at the moment about that same issue about how, you know, these FOIA requests need to be done before, I mean, before this pandemic is over because it's never going to be over. But I think a lot of states are kind of trying to shirk transparency um, by by using that as a cover. So that's more fun to talk about than parades. Mm-hmm. That kind of um, goes into the column that you put out yesterday about the how a Utah tech bro came to lead all these testing efforts, which is, it is I mean, like, it is just a, it's a wild ride to read because... There's, there's some, there's something in the words of Stefan, it has everything. It has Ashton Kutcher. It has some sort of venture capital conference. It has testing. It has uh, stock market things. It has, it it has everything. Have, it doesn't have Carson King though. So no, no. Well, you know what? You were so close to Iowa bingo, but you not enough. <laughs> Yeah, no black, no full full square blackout, whatever. No. <laughs> um, uh, yeah, yeah, it's it is a wild ride, and I think it continues to be a wild ride because I, I I know I and a lot of other journalists across the nation feel the same way that this this everything that's happening is so complex, and I mean, it, it, and it can go in so many different directions, and time has gone by so fast and yet so slow. I mean, I don't know if you all remember this, but like at the beginning of this pandemic, we had a problem with our administration talking about pandemic response on Snapchat. I don't Easy. even remember no, I that. that. <laughs> Which is the, the, the Reynolds administration or the. Yeah. Oh. Oh, yeah. Yeah, she did say today I mean, that were... she has tiptoed into using TikTok. Yeah, so, which I, mean... I don't know if there's enough time on any podcast to un- <laughs> unwrap that, whatever that might mean. But um, Snapchat, what, what, was the, really? what was the Snapchat? I, I mean, they're just like, you know, when whenever when nobody could meet together and people were talking, um, there was um, a story about how. Uh, people in the governor's office were talking about things on Snapchat and, you know, I should probably find this article, but like it, it, it's, you know, it's just absolutely, I know we wrote an editorial about it. So, so really, yeah, really amazing that like, you know, people in the government employees and elected officials were, you know, communicating via Snapchat, you know, I'm you know, surprised transparent- even knew how to use Snapchat. <laughs> I mean, if it can get them out of having to tell what they're doing, I'm sure that they would figure out all kinds of technology in a pinch. Um, <laughs> hmm. Yeah. So that's, yeah. So, I mean, there's so much going on, right. That there it's easy just to, to forget these things, but I think, you know, that it's just a very complicated story and it's one that as you know, as people who are writing the news and talking about the news and, you know, um, I guess I shouldn't really call myself a journalist since I'm an opinion columnist, but the, you know, even as you're, you're writing it as it's happening. So you can't even get full 
perspective on everything, you know, and I, and I think of my columns too, as like a way to bring in a lot of different information and make a bigger picture out of it. Um, even though I do try to do a, like a lot of original research and, you know, investigating on my own because I'm a nosy bitch. <laughs> but yeah, so I, I mean, it's, it's really hard to keep perspective in the middle of all this and see the bigger picture um, especially, you know, when it does feel like we're being gaslit on a national level and even a state level. So it gets really complicated and confusing. But, you know, when I can write articles like the Tech Bro article, which kind of pulls everything together and lets everybody see the big messed up picture, <sighs> that's when the fun happens. The Ashton Kutcher right. of it all. <laughs> <laughs> Why is um, he always here? He doesn't even go he here. He doesn't even go here. He does not go here. <laughs> like how what he lived here for what? Like 17 years? He's lived uh, like he's lived longer in California or at least outside of Iowa, I think, than he has lived in Iowa. Yeah. Well he's quite possibly one of the worst non-residents that we have here so you know elijah wood also was here and you don't see him coming into our state trying to fuck things up (laughs) i mean that's the thing that we want celebrities to do we don't want them to come into our state and fuck things up we don't want them to even try to fix things for us we don't want them to sing yeah, we don't want even we don't even want them to sing songs on social media. We want them to just kind of quietly be a mess in Twitter and on Instagram and we can watch it and that's it. I am so deep in on what celebs are doing in pandemic. It's actually upsetting to me now that I think about like because I'm so busy. Like I feel like my brain has been bleeding out of my nose. And yet I still find time to be like, ooh, you know, what's going on with, like, Kristen Chenoweth cleaning her bathroom? How's that looking out for her? I did have a a question. Uh, As you're seeing these, I mean, I know we talked about the Mission Accomplished banner or that mode that that Governor Reynolds is in. Like, is have you noticed – I mean, I think we've noticed a shift in – how she's talking about this. Like it's definitely become more of like cheerleader type of mentality. Like they're not uh, at these daily press conferences uh, lately. And so I, uh, is that, I mean, is that your sense too? And, and I mean, I think that's a dangerous place to be because we're still in the middle of this, but I wonder what your, your thought was on how she's presenting the, presenting all this information? I think in the beginning, and um, a lot of people really just wanted us to get this right, you know, because um, in the beginning, I think the response to the virus wasn't, it wasn't, it hadn't necessarily yet divided uh, along partisan lines. You know, we saw some Republican governors acting swiftly and early and some Democrat governors being like, it's fine, you know, so it really wasn't partisan in those first three weeks. And I, I, and I, along with everybody else in the state, I was just talking with um, a friend who is also a journalist about this the other day, how we really wanted Iowa to just get it right. 
you know? And so in those first couple of um, news conferences for the first couple of weeks, and I even like felt this in my columns, I was like, I'm softballing it here because I'm not going to really criticize anything until I see what our response is going to be. And, you know, those first couple of news conferences really, you know, we got, we got information, we got data, we were getting maybe a picture of what was happening in the state, but somewhere along like the second to third week, we really shifted into the, this is fine. This is what we're going to do. We're going to open back up at this point and everything else is, you know, I don't, you know, and, and, and every, and everything else is immaterial, you know, like. Do you even think it happened earlier than, than the last week or two? Like it started shifting really earlier. It shifted, it shifted very early. Um, I would say it shifted probably in week three. Um, And, um, and that's when, you know, you really started seeing her bringing in other people into the press conferences, like the press conferences right now are just a giant filibuster. Like she brings in people who, and I don't want to diminish their voices. I think, you know, high school students and, uh, you know, churches and teachers, they all, you know, have stories to tell, but those are stories currently already being told in the newspapers and televisions. I mean, look at any media outlet in the state. We've got a million stories about kids graduating, right? Like there, it's not like these are hidden stories, but they've, they've turned into this kind of filibuster, her like PR thing. And, and it feels like she wants us to tell those stories as opposed to the other stories about what's happening with the data. You know, when we say a case, th- this is something I've never gotten clarity on. When we say somebody's recovered, what does that mean? Does that mean they've had symptoms for a week? Does it mean they've had symptoms for two weeks? Because it's anywhere from three to six weeks that people are dying. So what, you know, what does that mean? And the way she reports and presents data ch- shifts week by week, she stopped reporting, you know, uh, the numbers of Iowans who have died. And I think that that response is shameful. It's making a COVID death in this state a thing of shame. I've noticed in the obituaries that we run, people have stopped reporting, families have stopped reporting if that's, if those deaths were from COVID or not. Oh, wow. Charity Nebby just had a, a Facebook um, post where she said she's been hearing the same thing. Families are feeling ashamed about this because the governor has shifted all the blame from the state, all the responsibility from the state now onto the individual. So if you get sick, it's your fault, you know, and it's because you weren't being responsible. And that is not the role that the state should be taking in a pandemic response. A state should not be a PR agency for themselves and they should not be, you know, cheerleaders for businesses or even high school students. I mean, we all want everybody to succeed, but like your role is not to, you know, be PR agencies for these people. Your role is to give people clear information as timely as possible and answer the questions about what's being done and how. And that is not happening. I just spoke to um, a woman, her name is Sarah Willett, and um, she is a data analyst and um, and has been analyzing data on COVID response in Iowa since day one. And her frustration is that people are 
don't know what's going on because the governor is not being transparent and is not talking about what's going on. The data that's reported keeps shifting every couple of weeks. The website keeps updating differently. You know, cases will will drop off, like just disappear in counties. We don't know why. We don't have answers on that. And, you know, Sarah was telling me that she's had elected officials reach out to her. She's had, you know, Rob Sand reach out to her to say, what are you seeing with the data? And as smart as Sarah is and as good as she is at what she does, you know, she'll be the first to tell you, this shouldn't be my job. This should be the state's job, but because the state is failing at what they're doing, you know, she's got to step in. And, you know, you heard the governor kind of weirdly brag the other day that like, oh, well, the restaurants had this like really great plan for reopening that was, you know, a lot more detailed than ours. That's because your plan sucked. Like, and the restaurants That should not be the case. Yeah. Right. That, that shouldn't be the case. We should not be left floundering. And yet we're floundering. It's different county to county. It's different business to business because we don't have clear guidance. And that's not a partisan thing. That's just that people are desperate for guidance. And and I think when there is a vacuum of information, then people just start believing what they want to believe to live the life that they want to live. You know, like if you're exhausted with quarantine and we all are, then you're going to, you know, look for justifications to start having parties with your friends and you'll find those, you know, but you know, if, if you're more scared, you're also going to find justifications not to go you know, do anything. And we just, we have this huge power and information vacuum because I think our elected leaders are really, really uh, screwing up here. And I, and also, you know, again, I'm an opinion columnist. I'm not, nobody, you know, nobody's questioning what angle I'm coming from and that's fine. But I will also say like our legislature really could have figured out a way to hold her accountable here. And they are, what meeting June third? Thanks, guys. Right. Yeah, so, I remember I'm, when when they like said that they weren't they were supposed to come back last Friday, and yeah. which is also when Kim Ronald started opening a bunch of stuff up, and it was this weird kind of cognitive dissonance where you'd be like, "Well, okay, so we're gonna open up all these restaurants and." all this other stuff, but like our legislators aren't going to come, don't feel comfortable coming back. Right. And if they felt like they were making some kind of point that, that was stupid, you know what I mean? Like, because our Senate um, had to come together to like figure out some response. I think at a state level, our elected leader should have figured out something a lot sooner. They had a lot of time and, um, you know, besides sending out, you know, letters that the go- to the governor that she's never going to answer or press releases, you know, or stupid tweets, Skylar Walker, good creep. Skylar Wheeler. Uh, Wheeler, whatever. I, Liz, I used to have to sit next, I used to have to sit next to him when I worked in the legislature. Yeah, you touched on a very sore subject for, for Lauren, so <laughs> really? I have no idea what kind of like can of worms you just opened. I I mean, just, yeah, I mean, just the amount, the small amount of ignorance and vitriol he sent my way, I can't even imagine. 
Um, so, uh, but yeah, but I mean, like, but like th- this goes for Republicans and Democrats. Like, you know, I think it became pretty apparent at least mid-April that this wasn't going to go away, that we needed to figure out how to respond and hold, uh, you know, our elected, our governor accountable. So they should have just, you know, found a way. And I, you know, there's just no will for that and uh, no ur- sense of urgency, you know, and, and we've seen our governor completely abusing her powers, right? She gave that contract for PPE to this like geo guy who makes, you know, propaganda for the GOP and also, you know, allegedly, you know, beat his wife. So allegedly, what a fun time to live in Iowa. Mm -hmm. Uh, Going back to something that you said a little bit earlier about how she's basically just like hosting filibusters every morning. Um, I mean, she, she's had, I mean, I, I watch basically every, every morning one that she does. Um, so she's basically like had a bunch of business owners and today there were teachers and a couple students call into the press conferences and they just give like this really stilted spiel that like, that like thanks her for things that are like, Oh, thank you for doing this. Thank you for doing that. And I was thinking about it today and she hasn't had like any frontline workers on. She hasn't had any nurses or doctors or meatpacking employees, no grocery store clerks or delivery drivers. And you had a really excellent piece, uh, about this woman D who worked at Subway. And I saw your update about her today. She, um, that she did get sick and couldn't get a test and then had to find a new job. And her, I think you wrote that her employer is withholding her wages. Yeah. I, um, two, two things here. And, you know, I think if the governor would just acknowledge that this is needlessly killing people, I think she would get, uh, I think she would, she would go a long way to earning some goodwill here because um, there are people, over 300 people, or, or what, are we close to 400 now? Um, are, we, um, we just popped over 400. We are at 404 today. Yeah. These are not, this is not a baseball game. We're not keeping score here. These are human lives and deaths that could have been prevented. And people are dying in our state every day. And if our governor would, fine, filibuster us, but filibuster us with a story about an immigrant who died, you know, after contracting COVID in a meat plaque packing plant, you know, or one of these wonderful grandmas, you know, who contracted it in their nursing home. We want to be able to honor the lives of Iowans who are needlessly dying in this pandemic. And I wish there was some way that we could talk about that and hold those stories. And huge big shout out to Ryan Foley of the AP, who has been doing the work, you know, there to highlight those stories when he can. And um, this might be a little premature, but I'm I'm hoping that the Gazette will be doing something soon to also, you know, talk about these lives and people just so that we can stop referring to them as a statistic. It upsets me every single time I get an email where people are like, 
well, we've only had this many people die. It's not as bad as that other state. So we're fine. It's like, these are human lives. And um, I had a really hard day yesterday. So when I um, follow up, like when I have people who talk to me for stories, I always try to like stay in contact with them and just like follow up with them. Every couple of weeks, I've got a little notice on my calendar that's like follow up day every two weeks. And, um, and especially I think now in pandemic, I've really, really tried hard just to stay in touch with people and see how they're doing. And so yesterday I followed up with two sources, um, Ellen, who I profiled in a column and she's, you know, waiting for a bone marrow transplant who, um, you know, is really scared about her, um, husband contracting the disease as he works at an intern at the university of Iowa. And, um, you know, and I found out that she like qualified for this bone marrow transplant. It's going to be great. She's going to like live. Um, and that's wonderful. And then I contacted Dee to see how she was doing. And, um, and the last time I contacted her, I hadn't heard back from her. So I just, you know, followed up again. I also like, maybe people never want to hear from me again. I don't, you know, I never know. So I don't try to, I try not to be too annoying, but, um, but yeah, she told me she had gotten very sick um, with COVID-like symptoms. Um, she she said it was diagnosed as bronchitis, but wanted to you know get a test and just wasn't able to be tested. And because she was so sick, um, I don't want to share too many details because I I still don't want to identify her. Um, she spoke to me anonymously, um, so she wouldn't lose her job. Uh, but she did end up losing her job because she got sick and then she couldn't get sick leave, you know. And um, in some of our other follow-up conversations, she had said so many other employees had just left um, because they were really upset with how, um, how they were having to be exposed every day to customers. You know, this is a subway that never shut down. You know, they weren't being allowed to wear face masks. They weren't, they weren't, they didn't have enough time to clean the store as often as they should have. And, um, and, and they're in, again, I'm just trying to be a little vague about the location, um, because a really fun thing that happened when I was reporting that story was Subway Corporate started calling Subways in the state to tell them to have people not to talk to the press. Uh, so like, and that was like, you know, it was just like this crazy thing. So anyway, so where she is, it's very adjacent to a food processing plant and, and people from the plant come in for sandwiches, which they should, they're hungry. But like, you know, she just felt really, really exposed. And, and sure enough, she's sick now. And, and because she couldn't get sick, you know, time off for being sick, she and couldn't get a positive COVID test. So couldn't even get, you know, some of that money because she couldn't even get tested. She ended up having to get another job somewhere else. And she, you know, feels very lucky she has a job. But, um, you know, I, I think that yesterday was like, when I got that news, I just had to like, stop working because I, I don't know, I think I say a lot of things as like an opinion columnist. I'm like, we don't do this, this is gonna happen, blah, blah, blah. But like, but when it's people's lives and when it actually happens, God, that sucks. Well, if we could shift to a less demoralizing uh, note to maybe uh, focus on, I, I we do what we do a lot of is 
um, as you know, is we do we do a lot of advocacy work. We try and get people to tell their stories, to talk about these things, so that we can hopefully make a dent or try and influence policymakers into making better decisions. Yeah. Um, from where you're sitting in, or in your position with the Gazette, or just from what you're watching in the state, what can what can people be doing to be expressing like just expressing their frustration right now to like make uh, to make a difference or to encourage go- whether it's the governor, or the legislators, businesses, whoever needs to be talked to about this or convinced on on some of these things like what what can people be doing? You know, I think we're in a place where um, our governor has decided her direction and will not be swayed. I mean, we've seen this in the news conferences where uh, reporters have asked her if there's a second wave, will you shut down again? And the answer is no, you know, nope, we're gonna, we're just gonna, we're gonna keep this course no matter what. And that is, it, it can feel really demoralizing, I think, especially for so many people out there, not just people who do advocacy work and not just for writers, but for everybody out there who sees. Uh, you know, people sick, who sees people dying, who are afraid, who are afraid for their children, afraid for their loved ones, afraid for themselves and their own underlying condition and just don't feel any leadership. And I think I think right now we're at a point where everybody's just feeling really run down, right? Like, because we've been shouting and shouting and asking for help and whatever little help we've gotten is not enough. I think one thing that people need to like realize is that um, you can't fix everything. Uh, you know, I think in this in this time where we all want to be advocates, we all want to shout, we all want to write letters and call. I think at this point, you know, make sure that you're taking care of yourself and your family, and just you know, really getting some sleep at night and not doom scrolling on social media and. <laughs> Um, I think that is the best thing you can do right now is to take care of yourself and your loved ones and get as informed as you can and do what's best. And I always think about this, you know, um, because I think as a shouter by nature, I, you know, I'm somebody who, and I'm also the second oldest of eight kids, right? I constantly feel responsible for everything. Then I think, you know, but something that I've had to just do, you know, come to terms with this, like, you can't change everything. So find the thing that you can do, and that you are uniquely suited to do, and do that thing, right? So um, for me, it's my columns, right? And and yeah. I don't know how much good that they do, honestly. And it's getting it's getting a little frustrating sometimes. But that's what I'm doing and that's what I'm going to do. And I'm going to do them as best as I can for someone else. It's going to be making masks, you know, and they're going to make masks and they're going to make them and they're going to make them as great as they can. And God bless that person, you know, for someone else, mm-hmm. it's staying home and keeping your, your, you know, your like five-year-old twins alive. God bless, you know, do that. Like it, 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 I don't think, I think in a world of social media and pandemic and fear that we all feel like we have to save the world, but sometimes saving the world starts with finding your own thing that you can do and just doing that as well as you can. And then just believing that that's enough. 
Um, so you and mean not. they don't have to learn how to bake sourdough bread and uh, I refuse. Like lead a lead a protest, a socially distanced protest outside the Capitol, and uh, no. I don't know what else. Yeah. I mean, if that's, I mean, if that is what you want to do, then you <laughs> should do it. But I, I also think that like we all cannot do everything. I refuse to make sourdough bread because I already have a, enough bad relationships in my life. I don't need another one in my fridge. <laughs> no, for what, for, for what it's worth, Liz, your columns do always uh, make me very happy or make me think of things or are you just say exactly what's happening in my head and in just in, in better words. Um, but thank you so much for joining us. Thank you all for having me. Yeah, thank you so much for joining us. Yeah. Yeah, it's thank nice you. to talk to other people. It is. <laughs> <laughs> what a Week is produced by Progress Iowa as part of the Potluck Media Network and would not be possible without grassroots supporters like you. We are mixed and edited by Greg Hallenstein. For more information, visit potluck.fm or find us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Be sure to leave us a five-star review and subscribe. See you next week on What a Week. What a Week.